whereas the other elders are, are more governing, but it's, it's basically one of distinction of, of the roles. Um, okay, let's get to the big picture question here. And in this room here, um, I was telling people that Ken and I have taught a lot of children's Sunday school classes. Mm. And one of the things that we had in our lessons is the big picture question. So if I am animated and feel like maybe I'm having flashbacks to be teaching the, the children, so <laughs> don't want to be condescending or anything. Uh, and by the way, if everybody is well behaved, at the end of the class, you'll get cookies and maybe some water. <laughs> and, and this is the, the sign for the but the big picture question I want you to be thinking of, and I want to leave some time at the end, is why is it important for a member of Redeemer to know and understand the qualifications to be an elder? So generally, why is it important for you to hear this passage, uh, hear this passage and understand what it means? So um, let's go ahead and read the, the passage from today. is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So it says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, for he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So with regard to this passage, what's the first thing which pops out to you about men who would undertake the office of, of elder? One bit of one wife? <laughs> okay. <laughs> one of my wife. <laughs> um, and I can assure you that that is my only wife. <laughs> and it's really ne not necessarily a uh, a character quality, but the first thing that it talks about is that uh, you aspire to the office of a leader. What, what do you think that that might mean? somewhat of a calling to the position of eldership. Um, there's a pastor named Lincoln Duncan. Uh, he said, I like the way he put it. He said, elders are men who want to do the work of eldership, not simply those who have a desire for the status of eldership. They're not after a title. They're not after honor. But what burns in their hearts is a desire to do the work of eldership. So 
the idea of aspiring, I, I think here, is the idea of being a servant leader. Uh, if it's there, if you're, if you're seeking to be a, an elder, to be a resume builder, or for a popular, uh, popularity type situation, um, your motivations aren't, aren't correct. Um, so then you have a situation where a person may think that he is called to the office, uh, but he's not for any number of reasons qualified. The question I want you to be also be thinking of, how does that implicate your role when we have people who've been nominated for elder in how you undertake uh, your, your responsibility in voting to affirm whether somebody actually has a calling in the So, um, So the first part, uh, aspire. We only have like 15 more to go. <laughs> the second thing, and, and this is kind of a, um, a nebulous phrase, it's, it says above reproach. Um, irreproachability. Anybody have any thoughts on what above reproach might mean? Matt, you and I both go ahead. I think it speaks to a sense of integrity that no one can bring in, like, no one can bring a bad word against you because you, you live your life in a way that has integrity, you carry yourself in a way that, you know, you, you walk, the, you talk the talk and you walk the walk. Right. And I think that that seems to be the, the, the meaning of what it, what it means to be uh, without approach. The word seems to be a general word for living in a way that gives no cause for others to think badly of the church or of faith in the Lord. Um, and we all know that being above reproach can't mean sinless. We're all flawed. We all have our issues. Um, but it's interesting that this comes at the top of the list because it puts a tremendous emphasis on what a person's reputation is. Uh, and I think the focus here is not on the person's relationship to the Lord when it talks about above reproach, but how others see him. And that goes to what Jason, Jason is saying about uh, the life of, it, uh, of integrity. Why would a person's reputation generally for leadership be, be such an important thing? I mean, I think, I think part of it is anytime you lead, there's going to be uh, opposition in, in some way, and, and you have to be gentle and kind in how you handle that opposition. So, for instance, like in Titus, Paul is, Paul is speaking to Titus, and when I think above reproach, I think of this verse. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, you show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that can't be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Right. And so that there's there's an expectation that like, you know, we're we're in a world that has evil spirits in it. You know, you, you read it in First Timothy, and you can expect that as a leader when you seek to do good, evil lies close at hand, and how you navigate that should be above. Reproach, um, it, it will be challenged. So. Yeah, so I, I think there's an aspect here where 
Um, we're looking at the public nature of the office, yeah. too. Uh, that it's, it's a person we're going to have leaders. If we have somebody that is promoted to a leadership role that has kind of a scandalous reputation, that really reflects upon the, the group of people that they're leading as well. Also, partially speaking, are people going to trust you as a leader? Like, even if they disagree with what you your ruling or whatever, are they still going to trust that? Trust you that you keep that that is coming from not from a place of pride or arrogance, but it's coming from this is our you know best decision or whatever. People are going to just practically speaking, are they going to trust your leadership and listen to you and? Follow you. Right. Absolutely. The, the example that was given by uh, one of the commentators I looked at is there was a person who had a great reputation. Uh, he was looked at as, as really a very um, godly person, and a claim was brought against him, and it seemed real scurrilous. And but the fact of the matter was, is people knew that person so well that they looked at that claim and they thought, I, I just can't see this person doing it. Now, unfortunately, we've had a situation where somebody puts on good ears and, and uh, they have a, a situation where they fall into sin or something like that. But I, I think what we're talking about here is, is the public, uh, public nature. You want to have somebody who has a, a good reputation. Uh, and, and here, and later on we'll see, here I think it, it relates more to the, the inner part of the church. When we get to the 16th point, which we may not get to, um, I, I, it has more of an outward focusing thing. Uh, the next one I think we can do away with fairly quickly, uh, husband and one wife. Uh, th this is one of the two parts of the passage which really deals with family life. Um, I don't think that this rules out, if you look at the, the context, it rules out bachelors for office because the Apostle Paul was not married. And in fact, he thought singleness was an excellent way uh, to be if you wanted to be freed up for ministry. But I think the idea here is that you're a one-woman man. <laughs> it didn't mean, uh, like I said, I don't think it means you had to be married. Uh, nor did it mean that the leader could not marry if his wife passed away. Uh, the idea of the passage was about love and affection and a heart devoted to one wife. Uh, he meant he was a playboy, not a flirt, not an adulterer. So, any thoughts on being a one-woman man? Hopefully there's no, there's no dissension on that. Okay, fourth thing, sober-minded which is also uh, can be translated into temperate. Uh, does the word temperate bring to mind anything for y'all? That's my not noted thing, y'all. <laughs> right, the temperance movement. Uh, back when we, whatever amendment that was. I'm a lawyer and I don't remember whatever amendment that was when we passed the, the prohibition on alcohol. Uh, but the, the word here also has been translated as having a meaning of vigilant. So not only a person that's free from excesses or uh, passions or rashness, but also 
uh, it would be described like this. Um, a commentator described temperance as the way a person walks late at night in the city. Not paranoid, uh, but alert. Uh, and this is necessary for protection of the church. A vigilant elder notices spiritual needs and warns of spiritual dangers. And that is the idea that's uh, set forth in the whole concept of being sober-minded and temperate. Uh, the fifth thing, self-control. Uh, any ideas why it's important for church leaders to have self-control? You know, the other thing, uh, the other way that this could be uh, translated is the word sensible as well. So self-controlled self or sensible. And the Greek word here, and I wish I would have taken Greek when I was having a chance, I was too busy watching basketball and football games, um, is sophrana, and it has to do with decision making. Uh, it means to be sensible. Men who make vital decisions about the ministry of the church have to be prudent. Uh, they have to have a balanced judgment. And when elders uh, do not weigh their decisions carefully, the church is vulnerable to all the latest trends in ministry and theology. So we're looking here at, at somebody who isn't rash, isn't, um, isn't succumbing to every uh, instinct that they have to to do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, sixth thing. Wow, we're all the way to the sixth thing. And it is, and we have how much time? Okay, we have 20 minutes. Sixth thing is respectable, which is also translated to mean honorable. Um, anything about respectable? And is, is the word respectable Harken back to you to mean or uh, to to anything earlier in the passage. What's that? Above reproach. Above reproach, right? And, and interestingly enough, I think when we look at these these aspects, it doesn't really tell you uh, in verse two when it talks about being above reproach the things that would cause a person. To, to be a reproach, right? I, I think these things are largely qualifying what it looks like for somebody to be above reproach. And, and the thing here is being respectable. Um, the Greek word here means to be orderly and well-mannered. And the idea seems to be one of not offending against propriety, uh, a person who comports himself in situations so as not to step on toes unnecessarily. Uh, essentially, somebody who will have some sense of discernment to know how they're coming across to the people they are communicating with, which uh, uh, if you've had a situation where somebody is saying things loosely or uh, saying things that 90% uh, of the people in the room would Deserve to be maybe putting somebody down or making a statement that is uh, unnecessarily harsh. Um, that's a thing that people have to have discernment for. So that's being respectable and honorable in the, in the way you come across to people. Anything else? You want? 
this one. And remember the big picture question. Uh, seventh thing, hospitable. Being hospitable. Uh, how should the attribute of being hospitable be manifested in the life of an elder in his family? And what do you think that's an important aspect of a leader of the church? It models what Jesus did. He was hospitable to everybody, not just believers, but unbelievers. He was trying to reach. Right. One of the ways that uh, the word is is defined is literally a lover of strangers, which in the New Testament days, I mean, we didn't have we didn't have inns. Uh, or as we know them today, uh, traveling was a very dangerous uh, undertaking. And uh, it was important for people to reach out to people, uh, to, number one, uh, in, in kind of the Eastern world that they lived in, to, to show people that hospitality, take care of them, to, uh, uh, to show love through the service of hospitality. Um, so an elder should be somebody who loves strangers, that is, who is given to being kind to newcomers, makes them feel at home. Hopefully, we're all doing that at Redeemer. When we, it's interesting, over the years, you see that people sit in certain areas. Uh, for a while, we were kind of like, if you're facing the stage, we were kind of back right kind of moved over to front left, a little more front left. <laughs> uh, you know, there were, there were times when we went back right that I thought when I saw people sitting in those seats like, hey, get out of my seat, which was like, that's the wrong thing to think. Uh, but you get an idea, people are creatures of habit, but one of the habits, and I think the elders need to be um, modeling this for people, and I think one of the things that elders should be doing is modeling for the church body is let's get outside of our comfort zones. If we see somebody new in church, uh, if we have an opportunity to, to make contact, um, it's, it's important to do that. It's important to, to leave your little group and go seek out the people who are, are maybe new or maybe dis that you know are disaffected and be able to, uh, to communicate and, and show that hospitality at church, but also away from church by inviting people into your home, uh, having situations where you're getting people in the church body together or you're inviting new people uh, to integrate. So hospitality, I think, is, is one that is uh, really important in the life of the church. Uh, the eighth thing, skill in teaching. So this is really one of the, the qualifications that has more to do with gifting than character. Uh, and I think as you see the, the roles that we have, uh, that the PCA has set apart, we have the teaching of the ruling elders. Um, I don't think that that need, means that every elder uh, needs to be very good at standing up in front of a group. And thankfully, that's the way I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> that's the way I'm going to uh, translate that. Uh, since not all of the elders devote 
all of their time to teaching uh, or preaching. Um, uh, so there, Paul makes, uh, makes it clear that an elder, and I, I think this is really kind of the big takeaway I get from being able to teach. Uh, it needs to be clear that an elder has to understand sound doctrine so that he can teach sound doctrine and so that he can correct those who are not teaching sound doctrine or who are uh, following after things which are not sound doctrine. Uh, you want your leaders in the church to know the orthodoxy uh, and they have a grasp of an understanding of the gospel. So when they see things that are maybe heresies or uh, are not true, that they'll be able to discern, see those, and explain to people why that particular point or that particular teaching is not in concert with, with the Bible. All right, here are a couple things, the next two things, which elders should not be. <laughs> These are things which should not be attributed to an elder. The ninth thing, not a droper. Um, I mean, we could go to the, to the obvious thing, is that if a person is addicted to, has an addiction to alcohol, that that would necessarily disqualify him to be an elder. But what else can that connote um, beyond just not being a drunkard? What do you think the, the connotation of that person is? I think it means that they just don't have self-control, that they have a they, and that there are other things controlling them, addictions or what have you, whether it's alcohol or some other some other thing um, that is controlling them and carrying their judgments. Um, yeah. Right. I, I think that, that is, that's key. The way I put it is they're free from enslavement. Whether it be alcohol, whether it be any sort of addictive behavior, or, um, and I think it actually could mean idolatry in the sense that they have things that are more important to them than uh, freeing themselves up. It, it's, I think it's closely tied to the idea of, of temperance as well. I, Dave, I really like the way that you thought, like you explained being watchful at night um, as an elder. And I, a lot of times drunkenness is, has a connotation of being closely tied to whether you're prayerful or not. And Jesus' language, and also Paul, he says, get drunk off the spirit, not with booze, basically. And I think one of the things that alcohol allows you to do is to not be vigilant and watchful for the people of God, you know, or, or yourself, even. It's a, it's a cowardly way to kind of unplug from what's hard in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that the call, like, it's, it's for deacons and elders, like, don't... Don't be a drunk, you know? Um, and I think that that's really important in terms of your intimacy with God and your knowledge of what's going on with God's people. Right. And, and one of the things that in my day job I do, I, um, we have prosecutors in our office. And it is amazing <laughs> the number of, of crimes that are committed under the influence of something. Um, uh, whether it be under the influence of alcohol or drugs, 
or uh, when people have an addiction, for example, to uh, uh, gambling, uh, the folks from the banks tell you that when you have a bank employee that is embezzling, 90% uh, of the time it's because they're addicted, they have an addiction to gambling, or they're doing it to pay for drugs. So basically, that allows you not to be freed up to have an understanding of the world around you when you're when you have these enslavements. So, right here's another not thing, not violent. Why, why doesn't it seem like that would be kind of uh, uh, that, that you shouldn't have a violent person as an elder? Why, why do you think that that might be something that's included by Paul in his letter to Timothy? What might be the other context of, of not being violent? And I'll tell you, one of the ways that, that this can be translated is pugnation, pugnacious or belligerent. Um, they call boxers pugilists. So what, what might be the con connotation Let's say you have great sound doctrine, but you're enforcing it on everyone, pugilistically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do we know people like that? I think we probably have all met people like that. Um, I think the other thing that, that some of the commentators I read on this passage pointed out is that not being violent is very closely related to one's temper. Right? Um, we should keep our temper under control, um, not be given to quarreling or fighting. Uh, there should be a conciliatory bent in the way we handle ourselves. Um, that can also mean that your feelings shouldn't be worn on your sleeve, like mine are when I watch a Nebraska football game nowadays. But I think maybe that's always been the case. My wife wouldn't say that. Um, but I also think it could mean it, it could also go to the point of not not carrying resentments or being hypercritical of people. Um, and I'm going to have a point here when it actually we talk about quarrel service. So, eleventh thing, gentle. So elders are called. Uh, in, in some respects, shepherds of the flock. How can a shepherd confront and be firm uh, while still being gentle? Is there an aspect of how do you be gentle yet firm with people? Especially if we're talking about uh, somebody who is, you might find quarrelsome, or somebody who is uh, perhaps caught in some sin pattern. Uh, how can we be gentle yet yet firm as shepherds of the church? Or how would you like to see that handled if you're on the receiving end?
people have to understand that you care for them and you love them and you're doing these things out of a sense of that care. And uh, while you might have to be firm, uh, we always have to watch our own our own motivations when we're reproving people. And that is, uh, am I doing it out of love? Am I doing it out of a sense of care for that person in a way that will show that, that you still love them and want the best for them? Um, one of the commentators said, an elder should not be harsh or mean-spirited. He should be inclined to tenderness and resort to toughness only when the circumstances command this form of love. His words should not be acid. I like, I like that. Words being acid. Or divisive, but helpful and encouraging. So the idea also is that we don't resort quickly to tough love. Uh, the true strength of man lies in gentleness. Um, when overseers lack courage to confront, the church loses its conviction. But an elder must be gentle. He must live among God's people like a tender shepherd. He must be sympathetic with the weak and compassionate to the wounded. Any more thoughts on that? And if there's anything, just chime in. I, I mean, I think an image is, is like how you treat, if you have children, how you treat your children when they are being disobedient. Like we've, we've recently come into a spell where when we had the discipline last, he, he said, you don't love me. And, and you know, like you're, you as a parent, just like, you better. <laughs> like we did, we do everything for you, you know? But we, like we can't, you know, as parents, uh, it's, not, it's not helpful to them or to you to kind of get caught up in that, you know, manipulation. And so you have to be, um, above reproach and, and gentle in, in your demeanor with your children. And I think the same applies with the church. Um, yeah. Yeah. Challenging. It's amazing that even they don't have to be taught how to be manipulative, yeah. you know, as little sinners. Yeah. It's, uh, they go there right yeah. away. They do that when they're older than last. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, 12th thing, not quarrelsome. The question here is, you have people in your lives who you try to avoid because they want to argue or be contrarian with anything you say. I, I think we have those people, right? and we, we tend to want to avoid them um, because, number one, I want to get into it with that person today, or number two, I am going to have to look at and think about every word I say because they're going to parse every single thing that I say to them because they want to start it. They want to start a fight. And they also, they want to win the fight, right? It's not just, I think we all know those people. And those are not the sort of people, I think, that represent the church well. Uh, and it also seems uh, pretty identical with being pugnacious and belligerent. And I think if you look at the last three things that we talked about here, they seem to go together in a unit that stresses peacemaking rather than factiousness or troublemaking. Uh, and I think that this would have great implications about the way a person uses their tongue. Thirteenth thing. All right, three minutes. There's no way to go through all this. 
Uh, 13, not lover of money. Uh, commentator I read here basically said, uh, a, an elder should be putting the kingdom first in all he does. His lifestyle should not reflect a love of luxury, and there should be no air of superiority because of that person's wealth. You should not be so money-oriented that ministry decisions revolve around solely this issue. And I think that we all, um, we tend to demonize certain people. I mean, we can demonize rich people. We can demonize poor people. Uh, the attitude in the church, and I think that when it talks about not loving money, um, number one, we shouldn't have a person that is, is idolizing, idolizing money or a, uh, an air of uh, they have a lot of money and they let you know about it. But also, the idea is that we don't, we don't try to easily pigeonhole people in the church uh, based upon class, status, or, or any attribute. Fourteenth uh, thing, he must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? Um, real quick, does anybody know, why do you think management of a household is listed as a qualification here? training ground for a broader sense of ministry, which I, I think, I, I do want to read this to you because I, I feel like it's, you know, a lot of people here are, are, uh, are parents, and it talks about parents or kids being obedient, so how do children become obedient, and Paul gives a hint, with proper respect. Respect means dignity or reverence, it may refer to the way the children treat their father, parents have the right to demand respect from the children. But it also describes the way the father relates to his children. He treats them like human beings, therefore their relationship is one of mutual respect. And in family life, I, I, if you see somebody who's dictatorial or overbearing, um, that's off-putting. And I think that, that doesn't necessarily command respect for their children. So, fifteen uh, thing. He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemn condemnation of the devil. Why is it important that we have people who are not recent converts as leaders of the church? They may, I think one indication of the that they, a recent convert may not fully understand the, the weight and the duties of an elder. They may just as, as put forth in scripture, they may, or within church tradition or community, they may see it as like, who am I an elder? I'm, I'm hot stuff. And because I have this title now, which they don't understand what the title actually means. Right. I think that that is a big part in what it means to be puffed up. Um, you can become conceited. And I think there's also an aspect there where. Um, 
if you throw somebody into a leadership role too early uh, without them having some sort of history of showing good judgment, good discernment, a good understanding of theology and of an understanding of how the gospel is implicated in, in everything around them, um, that, that could be a snare. Uh, and I, but what I don't think it means is I don't think that you have to be an old person. Now I get joked upon uh, in our elders board, I'm the oldest dude. <laughs> I'm the elder board. Uh, it, it talks about not being a recent convert. So I mean, I think you can have people who are in their late 20s, early 30s, who are very spiritually mature because they've known Jesus for a long time. They've had somebody disciple them when they were younger. Uh, they're diligent in the work. But the idea is that we need people who uh, have had some time, uh, true and tested uh, areas of life where that struggle or being beat down, they come through it in a way that shows they're mature Christians. Not like I said mature, I think that's key. Yeah. Okay, uh, and finally, moreover, he must be thought of by outside, he must be he must be well thought of by outsiders or he may fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. What this seems to mean is that the Christian leader should at least meet the standards of the world for decency and respectability, for the standards of the church should be higher. So it's looking to a person who generally, I think, has a, a good reputation um, that is not going to bring uh, any sort of issues for people to say, oh, that dude is an elder. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to the big picture question because it is 10 o'clock. Uh, how uh, or, or why should the people generally in the congregation care about knowing the qualifications of an elder? And by the way, the leader of the church is Jesus, <laughs> and we're all flawed leaders, and we, we fall short. Um, but the word says we're looking for these qualifications. Why should everybody care? And how does that implicate you all when elders are brought up for, for voting? I mean, we just need to know what, like, why we're, what we're voting on. I, like, if there's new people being brought up for voting, then I haven't looked at this list at all. What am I, like, chasing my vote on? You know? Like, right. if I haven't So it's incumbent. And I think the other thing about this is, absent the qualification of being able to teach, these are, these are qualities that I feel all Christians should try to aspire to uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the, uh, growing in your sanctification, that these, these qualifications or these, uh, these attributes are not something that are just relevant to elders, 
Um, it's something that, that we should all be aspiring to. Uh, is a Christian character that is uh, attractive to people, that is kind, that is caring, uh, that we have uh, a reputation that we are representing, that we are lights uh, to the world on Jesus' behalf. So um, I think we're I think we're at time. Let, let me ask you a question, Dave. Uh, and then I want to pray for you and us. Um, you, you've been an elder since the beginning here. What do you love most about being an elder? That's a good question. I, actually, what I love the most about being an elder is um, the opportunity to be involved in the lives of people and to see them embrace the gospel on a deeper level. Um, and in their lives actually duplicating uh, th what they've come to learn and know in the lives of other people. And that's probably the greatest thing is to see Jesus at work because a lot of times I think uh, the elders get to see some things. I mean, it's both sides. We get to see bad sides, but we get to see good sides. But it's really being involved with people in, in the church and watching Jesus work in their lives. Um, I'll just say this. When, when I moved from Texas, one of the elders, I, he just left me with a word before I moved up here, and he said, Matt, you, just, you need to love the sheep. Love the sheep. And uh, that was the last thing he ever told me. And I, and I would say, Dave Vidalic, more, more than almost any other elder I've ever experienced, he just loves people. And he loves Redeemer. And so you, you have a, a good, solid image of God here that, that wants to care for you like a shepherd. Um, and it's, yes, I mean, this is really a, a, a bunch of qualifications that describe Jesus is what it is. And we all fall short. But I would say that's one, that's one area where Dave shines. He just loves you. So, um, Checks in the mail. You want to pray? That's <laughs> <laughs> true, man. Uh, look, uh, can I pray? Yeah, let's pray. Right. Father, we thank you for uh, the work of your grace in this church, in particular lives, and in the, in the session and the group of elders. We thank you for Dave, his um, skillfulness in teaching, but, but more than that, for his love for your people. And that's so evident. Um, as everyone observes him, and as we think about uh, nominating new possible elders in the life of Redeemer, um, we are not uh, trailblazing. Uh, this this path has been carved by a godly godly men and women who've gone before us, and so help us to um, receive what's been handed down to us from people like Dave.
wanna love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you.